This is a power-packed room right now. I'm serious. I'm serious, a power-packed room. We love you online, too. I love me and me and Aaron have been talking all afternoon. Poor guy, he's like got to preach tonight, but I wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't leave him alone for five minutes, just talking his ear off. And I love something he said. He said, um, you know, as, as you know from last time, his dad's a pastor of 40 years, and he said his dad's love language you to show up in church. <laughs> Man, you know, when he said that, I was like, man, I can, I can identify. I can identify, man. I'm just feeling loved when somebody shows up. You want to love me? You want to love me? Just come and put up with my preaching for a, a time or two, you know, during the week, each week a time or two. Every week a time or two. Yeah, but I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so true, though. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're just enjoying. Really am thankful for you here. It's a really good Friday night starting the weekend. Tonight, 7, tomorrow, 6, and then Sunday at 10. Pastor Aaron will be sharing with us each night. And, you know, it's a strategic time, and I'll, I'll go ahead. And I don't know what he was going to share, but I'll probably be a, a little spoiler here and there. But it's a um, very strategic time for, for Pastor Aaron and his his family and his ministry and his life and his future and the plan of God and everything else in that context that next weekend he's launching his church next Sunday. And so he's, he's here with us the weekend before that he's launching his church and um, they've been hard at work. I mean, last night he has his pre and I'm sure he's going to share all this. I'm just blowing it for him. But anyway, he can share. He can figure out other stuff to share. <laughs> but he's working late last night with his pre-launch, like, dinner with the people that have committed in and gets on an airplane this morning and gets back in. And then he's got a full week of getting ready to launch his church next weekend. And, and that's just, man, I just love that. I love, you know, just getting out there and just planting, just planting planting fresh. I mean, he just went out there and, and just rounding up the folks that have God's place on their heart to join them, and they're just starting, man, just starting from nothing. And it reminds me, it reminds me of a couple things. I just want to share just a couple, few little things, and I feel like it's just appropriate just to gear this. I mean, this weekend, we're going to just be just partnering with him and just sharing some love with him and just lifting his arms up. Boy, you never know how just a nice love offering and a nice pat on the back and some encouraging words, how far that goes to a preacher, especially when they're stepping out into a whole new season of their life, which means walking away from some salaries and walking away from some other stuff. And you're just saying, Lord, trusting you that you're going you're gonna to build this thing. And um, it reminds me of my wife and I. Where did she go? There she is. I keep your new seat back there. I'm not used to it yet, but I get it. You don't want to, like, be doing that right there. I understand. I understand. I don't know if that, that might be, like, services might go to, like, PG-13 almost, you know, or something. We understand. 
maybe not quite, you know, and maybe every now and then, no, no wardrobe malfunctions. Anyway, moving on. Moving on, man, I just went, that just went downhill real fast. I was reminded, thank you, sweetie. You're so far back there. Normally you're doing that really quietly from right there, but now you're just so far back there in this huge sanctuary. Um, I was reminded of my wife and I's first, I am reminded of our first church plan, and we get to just tell a few stories this weekend, because Pastor Aaron gets to carry the load, but it was when we first got that call to China, and we were in the Philippines, and we shared what the Lord had placed on our heart with our pastor, and, and after about, man, four years, <laughs> after we shared that what the Lord has placed upon our heart, it, the next thing was, okay, you're called to plant a church in China. Well, great. You get to go plant a church in Chinatown here in Manila. And so we did. We got to, we got to go out, and it was the first step for us. It was the first time my wife and I were able to church plant, sort of a little bit more of a campus plant, but church plant together, minister, and just, boy, you just get there and just hope that you visit people, you, you know, share what you're doing, you, you show up and you set up the sound system, and you, and you just start praying that somebody will show up to preach to, and, and it was just such a, an awesome time, and, you know, I guess now, by, by this point, I mean, reach community, I guess, Technically, of the church plants my wife and I have been part of has been, it's probably number five that we've personally been part of and obviously leading two of those and three of the others were prior to us going out on, um, on our own. But, you know, church planting is something that we obviously believe in. Planted this, able to plant this, this church just some three and a half years ago now but it's something that we want to see both us partnering with, like a Pastor Aaron and his, you know, his own work and work that he's gonna be doing, we're just partnering with him, but something that we would like to see here in our house, which means that people, yourself, being raised up, receiving the call of God, that you have it on your heart to go out and plant churches that's not for everybody a lot of people if not the majority even you might say might stay planted right here at at home home base whatever you want to call it but there's so many different aspects of church planting i mean there's us as a church partnering with people planting churches there's us as a church raising up pastors that we can then send out to plant churches there are people that are part of this community, planted in this community, that will feel the desire to not be the pastor and not be raised up for full-time called ministry, but to have it on your heart to actually go out and be a part of new church plants. And there's so many different ways. And then there's us who just say, Pastor, I'm just going to support the church plant. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to I'm going to give towards I'm going to give towards the church plan. We're going to let the church planters do all the planting. And there's that important part as well. But, um, but this weekend is just a whole, whole emphasis on just for in terms of the offering 
teaching and thought that we want to have a culture and we want to believe God. Everybody say, believe God. God. That in the days ahead, you don't have to repeat anymore, that in the days ahead, because you'll be repeating everything for the rest of the night. Pastor Aaron gets up here, you're going to be like repeating everything he says. That for the days ahead, that God will be placing it upon people's hearts to be raised up from this house, not not recruited in, not, not hired hands, but raised up from in the house with the heart of the house, full of the spirit of God, that God will place it upon your heart to go out and be a part of, of church plants and that God will give us the resources from within the house that we can not only take care of our own house needs, facilities and the team, the growing team that we need here, but that we will have it within our means to be able to sow into other church plants, whether domestically or internationally. And we're just going to believe God for that in the days ahead. Can somebody say amen? Come on, say it again. Say amen. Say let it be Lord. Amen. Well, at this point, we're going to do this sort of casually, and um, I'm not going to tell the worship team to come back up, but at any point tonight, and really over Saturday and Sunday, we'll take a little bit more time, but when you give your seed or your offering tonight, specifically tonight and Saturday, everything, unless you just, it's your tithe and you write on the envelope or you put on there your tithe, but what you sow tonight at any point from this time forward, even as Pastor Aaron comes up in just a moment, just write on that, if you're doing it on your devices, guest as normal, and that goes directly to our guest account. If you're doing it on an envelope, just write on there, guest, Aaron, Pastor Aaron, whatever you want to write in tonight's offering and Saturday's offering will be going to support and partner with Pastor Aaron and on Sunday we'll take an additional have an additional opportunity to sow into his ministry can somebody say amen all right we're just going to do that as you are at any point you can put it on the overhead please just for a minute Gabriel wake up overhead please it's my son so I can just call him out by name I can't do that with anybody else I'll be like Still mm, today. Mm, there you go. Oh, good job. All right, moving on. You can go ahead at any point and just sow a seed tonight into Pastor Aaron's ministry. And as you do that, he's just going to come up here and, and just go for it. Bro, you can be up here. I'm up here. Lighting's better, the whole camera thing. But you can go wherever you want when, um, when you minister. Come on up here, man. Everybody welcome Pastor Aaron. Ah, praise God. It's so good to be in NOLA. Did I say it right? How many of you love and are appreciative of your pastors? <laughs> Pastor James and Christina. Two of the most genuine people I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with in ministry. So I think we ought to give them another hand. because. Pastor James, all I can say is if I would have said some things you said and I'd say that to my wife, I would be dead. <laughs> the patience on hers, God given. <laughs> the Lord will bless you, Christine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Pastor James and I uh, connected years ago 
uh, through Pastor David Sumrall. And um, it was one of those, you know, weird connections. And pastors, I had a chance to meet with him in uh, Manila. And uh, if you don't know much about me, we've done a lot of work internationally and overseas. And I had a chance to have dinner with Pastor David. He says, you've got to meet James. And I'll never forget. I'm like, well, how do I do? He's like, well, let's give you his number. Just call him. I'm like, but I don't know him. And he doesn't know me. He's like, well, you do it. So, so I did. And James was like, who are you? How did you get my number? And then when I told him, he said, okay, well, if he gave you my number, then why, why do you want us to talk? But through that initial just kind of strange thing, the Lord was working. And you see, the Lord is so awesome. Here, uh, I was uh, in a random thing in Manila, and James at the time was in Shanghai. I always want to say it correctly. And, it was, you know, Samaria, Shanghai, you know. <laughs> And uh, a friendship started to emerge, even though we had never met. And uh, so we began to do phone calls and Zoom calls and just connecting. It was kind of like the Lord just connected our hearts and our spirit. At that time, he didn't know he was going to be back here. I didn't know that. And, uh, and then as uh, life and the world spun, right, and as the journey of God on all of our lives emerges, it doesn't always uh, go the exact way we have planned. And and all of a sudden they're here and we start connecting and meeting. And, you know, I just thank God because I believe and know that the Holy Spirit connects us. It, you could be in China and you could be in America or South America or the Philippines. It doesn't matter. God says if he wants people to be connected and working together, he'll connect us anywhere on earth. Amen. And so I believe in divine appointments and blessings. And, and um, so I'm so thankful to be here tonight. I remember... When your pastors were just talking about this vision, and I jokingly call your pastor Superman because God just blesses what him and his wife do. I mean, and it is just amazing how the anointing and increase, but it's through the genuine love for people that they have, which is you and this community and this city and this world. It's through their children who are such a, how many are grateful for this family? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. If you want to know the fruit, look at the children. I only have three, so I got a lot of catching up to do, but I love their growth model strategy of just contributing every year to the growth of this church. I was looking at the worship team, I'm like, one, two, three, they got a whole band, it's like the Von Trapp family up here, you know, I mean, love it. And genuinely, it sets a positive goal even for myself. And I, I went home after the first time I came here, and my son, I'm like, you're learning piano right now. Sit down. <laughs> and you know what? He plays piano for me now. Amen. <laughs> he does. And my daughter, she's 12. She's starting to sing. I said, here, baby, you're going to start singing. And my 10-year-old, she doesn't know what to do. I said, you're going to learn some drums. Come on. <laughs> she always needed a drummer. We're big James back there, man. So as we grow, it's a beautiful thing to just be used to the Lord and dedicate your family to the work of the Lord. And that's exactly what the Widers have done here. And because of that, it is a posturing and a positioning for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because God's Spirit is moving across the earth. You know, the Spirit of the Lord was moving across the waters before anything was even created. So the Spirit is moving even right now, but the Lord works through obedient vessels. Can we say amen? amen? I don't know why God chose to do that, but if you look at any miracle that took place even in the Bible, it always happened after a human 
said yes to God. The Red Sea would have never been parted if it wasn't for Moses' yes. You can go through history. Peter would have never walked on the water if he wouldn't have stepped out of the boat. The loaves and the fishes wouldn't have been multiplied if that little boy wouldn't have came up and gave him to Jesus. On and on it goes. Jesus would go up to the blind man and say, what do you want from me? He said, to be healed. And he says, well, such as your faith is, you can have it. So over and over and over again, the Lord calls people to be obedient. And when we are obedient, then the miraculous can take place. And I want to share with you tonight because of the obedience of your leadership and therefore you being here and therefore the community that is reached, this is obedience in full force. And because of that, the Lord says, get ready. I'm about to pour my miracles out on this city because of a group of awesome, on fire, radical, crazy Jesus freaks. Come on, if that's you, give God a praise in here tonight. Amen. So I tell you what, I'm happy to be here. And we are in the middle of uh, some beautiful life uh, work right now. It's been extensive. As your pastor mentioned, we're planning a church. Uh, my wife and I, seven years ago, started an organization called Expect Hope. And Expect Hope began and has begun uh, with rescuing children overseas. That's where we began our mission. And we started with orphans. In fact, the first trip we ever did with this emphasis was to the nation of Nepal in 2015. And when that took place, I remember the earth, these earthquakes had hit Kathmandu and all over the country. And there were hundreds of children, if not thousands, orphaned because their parents had been killed because so many buildings had collapsed. And so when I went there, I experienced some tragedy uh, unlike anything I had ever seen outside of Haiti. I was in Haiti after 2010 earthquakes. And when you see uh, the devastation that takes place in third world nations, when they don't have the infrastructure then to clean up and repair and help people, it's pretty horrific. And so these children are wandering the streets and there was pastors and people there that just says, well, I'll take them in. And so you had pastors taking on five, 10, 20 kids, but they didn't have any means to support them. And it was on that trip, my wife and I had been praying for about it. And on that trip, I felt the Holy Spirit say, the time is now, say yes. And I began to just say yes to every opportunity that came with those things. And with those children, I, they said, we need help, can you help us? And we began to talk, what does that mean? And how do we help financially and what would it go towards? We just began, and they said, here's 30 kids. I said, okay, yes, well, my wife and I will take care of all 30 children. And then the next day they took me to another location and there was, there was another 30. I said, yes, my wife and I will take care of these 30. And then the next day, there was another 20. And then I started getting my calculator out. And I said, yes, yes, God. It got bigger than me real fast, that's all I know. But I said yes, regardless. And so as we talk about this time of refreshing this weekend, um, as I've been praying about this weekend, I've been saying, Lord, what do, what do you have for all of us, including myself? Because, you know, as a minister, we're not exempt from the blessing God wants to rain down. And uh, the Lord says, speak the word of encouragement to people's calling this weekend. And I, I, my prayer over the next uh, three services is that the calling and destiny on each and every one of your lives gets so stirred, gets so fired up, that you won't be able to sit there 
even if you try. That you're just wanna, gonna run out the door and get changing this world so fast you won't even know where to go or what to do maybe, but you'll know you gotta do something, baby, because when you say yes to God, it's like igniting the fire. And that's why in 2 Timothy it says, you need to fan the fire into a flame. And so on the inside of each and every one of us is that flame. And my prayer is that that flame, that, that flame turns into a raging fire. And even those of you that are real fired up, let me tell you, it can still get hotter. You know, there's no, there's no limitations in Jesus, just in ourselves. So my prayer is that that fire just starts raging on the inside of our hearts. And let me tell you, there's such joy and refreshing when we yield and lean into the Holy Spirit. Because when we're doing exactly what he wants us to do, nothing brings us more life and more joy than that. If you believe it, say yes. Come on, clap your hands. Let's give God a praise. So my wife and I began this work uh, with Expect Hope in Nepal, and we came. I came home, and I said, babe, you know, uh, I committed us, I think it was like 78 children. I said, we, we got to take care of 78 children, you know, and they're roughly, you know, $30, $40 a month per child. She said, did you do the math? I said, I did. She's like, good. We'll figure it out. The problem was, about three days later, I got another call from Albania. See, we'd done work in Albania, and they said, hey, we have 40 children that need help here. And on and on it goes, and I just kept saying, yes, yeah, we got you. I'm like, we're broke. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> the thing about faith that's so beautiful, God doesn't require your brains, your education, your credentials, or a big fat bank account. He doesn't require major political influence or social media reach of a blue check mark next to your name that the world so covets to know that that's the real you. People are so funny with these things, but they think that's what's important, that I have some sort of influence. The Lord says, no, no, no. What I need, put all that over here. Let me look at your bank account that you're saying, I got 300, but I need 800. Okay, let's start there. Let's also look at that person who looks in the mirror and thinks that they're not good enough and they don't look not pretty enough and they need to get buff a little bit more, you know, maybe that's just me, you know, and you just look and think, I'm not adequate. I, I, I don't fit the bill. Let me look at the other person that looks in the, the mirror and says, well, they have their doctorate and they have the masters and the MBA and I barely got my GED. Are you hearing me? That the world looks at all the reasons that they are disqualified and no good and that God can't use them. And God says, I want all of you to just say yes. And that yes is more powerful than anything the world can do. This is why the Bible says that God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. Your yes is foolish to the world. But God will take your simple yes and part a Red Sea. Moses had a stutter. How are you going to talk to the greatest, most powerful leader in the world and can't even talk correctly? But yet God did it. And he'll take your yes and do things you never dreamed of possible. Because it's not you. It's him. 
who does exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. That's the kind of God we serve. He takes weakness and makes strength out of it. He takes brokenness and heals it and makes it whole. He takes a shattered vessel and puts it back together again to make beauty out of ashes. Are you in here tonight? Say yes. So as we're saying yes to God this weekend and we're saying yes to receiving all of his glory, here I was just saying yes and not having the means to do so in the natural, but just saying yes to God. And yes and yes we went. And, and one by one, we began to have people come up to us and say, hey, uh, I, I heard you over, I, you know, I overheard you talking about these things with children. Or somebody said, hey, somebody told me. And one by one, people said, I want to help. How can I do that? How can I be a part of this? And little by little, we just, we didn't even know. We didn't have programs. We didn't have all the formalities. I wasn't trained in this. You know, I, I didn't know what to do. We just said, okay, we'll figure it out. And, you know, it's wild when you just take it a little by little by little by little, that God can take all of those little steps and then pour some miracle sauce on it. Are you hearing me? It was like that. What was that? That salt stuff we had tonight? That Tony Sasher. Glory! I've never had Tony Sashery. Didn't know Tony existed. I'll be looking for him now. Changed my life tonight. And Creole mustard. Oh, my goodness. Your pastor is in that plain old yellow stuff. I said, did you not see the Creole mustard? My God. Thank you for Louisiana. They don't have these things in Colorado. Oh, my goodness. But the Lord will take those little moments and put that Tony Sashery on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's what he wants to do with your yeses and your life and your steps you take. You think it's just such a small step, and he just pours a little bit of that miracle juice on it. Are you hearing me? God takes things and expands them and brings life to them, and all of a sudden, your little step turns into a giant leap in the earth. And we begin to see that even in our life. We begin to see that doors begin to open, and, and our dream of just helping these initial 50, 60 children in Nepal quickly was like 300 children, and we were rescuing them off the street. I was traveling to all these nations. I was hands-on. I was going to the streets myself. I mean, I was on the what we call rescue crews now, and we were literally going to city dumps and trash dumps and working with government and police and figuring out all the pieces to say, God, how do we make the impact of this injustice on the earth. God, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have political connections. I don't have all the money. I don't have any of those things. All I have is a desire to please you. All I have is a desire to say yes. All I have is a desire to just take a step in the direction you're pointing me. And you know what? That's all you need. The Lord can do the miraculous with obedient hearts and obedient hands and obedient feet. That's faith. You always say, if you want to know where's your faith level, I would say, where's your trust? Faith and trust in the Lord are almost synonymous to me. And say, how much faith do you have? I would simply say, how much do you trust the Lord? How much do you know him? How much do you believe that if you jump, he's going to catch you? So as we just dove into this mission, God began to do works, and we, we, began, we built our first orphanage. I'll never forget that. It was in Albania. And we, we never knew about miracles. 
you know, like this. And I remember the first time our director in Albania, he said, we used to have an orphanage, it shut down, and uh, here's, here's the building we used to do it in, but, you know, we're trying, we're believing God to buy it, but I said, well, how much is it? $100,000. He looked at me like, you have it? I said, man, that's a lot of money. You know any rich people? Because <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> and we prayed over it, though, and the burden was there. And we just began to believe God. We said, God, give us this building for your glory, Father. Give us this building to, to rescue these children, to give them a home. The, 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 the area it's in is the mafia capital of the world. It's in Thuman, Thuman, Albania. Since that time, I've met with the three mafia dots. They know me. They like me. Come on, that's favor. I've met with the imam. I've met with the governor who was on the CIA watch list, and apparently because of my haircut, he thought I was a this undercover spy. <laughs> Seriously. And when I met with this guy, he had his guards with their guns in the meeting, you know, and all this. And, you know, I'm talking and talking and saying, hey, we, we, were gonna, we did a crusade there. And I said, before we did the crusade, I was getting permission. You know, I said, hey, we want to come to your town. We want to do medical. We, want, we need a hospital. We need this. We need that. We're going to bring doctors. And he just looked at me. And uh, after all the talking, he, he mumbled something Albanian. The guy says, okay. I said, okay, what? He said, okay, you can have all. And he, the guy just got up and walked out the door. I'm like, what just happened, you know? It's never that easy, you know? And uh, later they found out, two days later, they said, oh, he thought you were a spy. He didn't want any trouble. I said, thank you, Jesus. If, if I got to be a spy? I'm Jason Bourne. I felt kind of cool, you know, like, guess I look like James Bond out here, you know. <laughs> Whatever it takes. And, you know, we had the crusade there. We saw hundreds give their heart to Jesus. We saw over 1,000 children come to our kids' festival. Big deal there. These kids are a little rowdy. A lot of them had pistols. No joke. And as we had our team there, and uh, we had Samaritan's Purse partner with us, and we gave out those shoe boxes. You ever seen the shoe boxes? Well, we received the shoe boxes. I can tell you, they get there. And we used them and blessed all these kids with the shoe box. Well, I remember the teenagers came up. And the teenagers, we didn't have gifts for the teenagers. We just had them for the children. So there was a 13 on up cutoff. Well, about 30 of them got and so the, the Hope House, oh, I never finished the Hope House story. Let me tell you what happened with that, and then I'll get back to the teenagers. These are good stories real fast. I'm just setting up your faith for the weekend. We got a call a year later, and some ownership had shifted on that Hope House building. And they said they're just trying to get rid of it. It's a, it's a bad asset to them. There's nothing. They just want to offload it. They inherited it from some sort of change. And, I, and, I, and my guy was telling me, they said they just want $10,000 for it. You have to pay cash, but then we can have it. I said, let me find $10,000. And you know, I made one phone call and we had it. So that very thing that seemed impossible one year earlier, one year later, one, one phone call from my guy overseas and one phone call to the right person, the Lord supplied all the need. We secured the Hope House, and it's a thriving work today. And we have blessing in that city because of meeting with the mafia and meeting with the corrupt governors and imams and all these people. But you know, when God leads you to do things, it doesn't matter where you are on the earth. It doesn't matter what you look like. Come on, you can look like a cool spy if you need to. 
You can look like a mafia Don friend, you know. I, I was waiting for him to be like, what do you have, you know, but they, you know, the mafia in Albania is different. They just, they just sip their coffee. That's why I learned to drink all that espresso. Brown bread. <laughs> These, back to my other story. So now we're in the whole house. We've secured it. We've opened it. We're having the kids crusade. A thousand kids get blessed. We're having a miracle time. And now there's 30 rowdy, angry teenagers. And why were they angry? They didn't get a shoebox. We literally ran out of them. Now, these kids are the new, uh, some of them were the new mafia recruits, and they pulled their pistols out. And they said, you all better give me a shoebox. <laughs> we were out of shoeboxes. Now, you got rowdy teenagers saying, give me a shoebox with their pistols in the air. I said, we better find something. <laughs> now, I had a team from America. Now, if you ever come with me on a mission trip, get ready. We had our American team in the Hope House. And the leader comes running in. And he's yelling to the others in Albanian. And we're, you know, you ever been in a room where they're all speaking a language you don't know? But you know something's wrong. And they're like, I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, it's like, turn the subtitles on. What's going on? And one of them said, gun, gun, get down. Everybody hits the floor. We're freaking out. What is happening? So finally, someone calms down. They translate, and they tell us what happens. My children, prior to going on this trip, my son was actually with me on this trip. He was only nine at the time. He's 14 now. They had packaged all of our stuffed animals. They said, we want to give something to the kids. So we packaged all their stuffed animals. So we took this big old trash bags full of stuffed animals. We shipped them and packed them. And that was all we had left. And one of our team members says, this is all we got. Go I'm going to go give him this. And he runs out there with this bag of stuffed animals. I said, there's our first death. Our first martyr with expect hope has just left the building. Fox's Book of Martyrs is about to get a new chapter. <laughs> I mean, it was tense, you know. And he runs out with a bag of stuffed animals. I'm like, what, are you going to fight him? What are you going to do with that? Everybody's like, what do we do? I'm like, just, just stay down. I, I was, I had no words at the moment. And I watch him go out there. And the Albanians are trying to, it was like a compound, so we had some gates around it. And he runs out the gates right into this crowd. And he starts pulling out stuffed animals and giving them to these people. And just starts giving them. And he's like being nice. He's like, God bless you. God bless you. And you know what? I watched the most unbelievable thing. These kids put the guns down and started hugging the stuffed animals. I kid you not. I was like, what is happening? I thought those were gangsters. You pacify a gangster with a stuffed animal? What is going on? And stuffed animal after stuffed animal. And these kids were like, you know, these are boys. A lot of them are boys, young men. They're high-fiving. Like, yeah, stuffed animal. Like, I'm like, I am so confused with this country right now. I am on another planet. <laughs> what is going on? And one by one, they just kind of trotted off with their stuffed animals. 
So we get on, so our bus, we had a team bus, it was at the top of this little hill down the street. The bus couldn't make it in front of the Hope House the way the street was. So we had to now take the team, after they just were ducking for their life, out into the very street that was gonna kill them, and walk up to the bus. So we're uh, kinda out there like, you know, like, waiting for the okay corral ambush or something. Of course, we have no problems. We woke, we walk up, we load the bus. One of those kids, we're on the bus, and he bangs on the window, pop, pop, pop. Everybody looks, he's got a pistol hanging out. And he holds his stuffed animal up, and he's just so happy. And he's waving at us. And then we drove off. <laughs> the first thing I said to my guy was, what were you thinking? He's like, I don't know, man. I deserve they needed something. That's all we had. I figured, well, if we're going to die, we're just going to die giving them what we had. I said, well, thank God for you. So our, our leader, once everything had calmed down, we said, what was that? He said, in this community, when you are born, and you're especially the young boys, you were raised to be tough. So part of the training and mentality of this small community in this area is to teach you that you will never get anything you don't earn. Never expect to receive something you haven't taken yourself or earned yourself. So the practice of gift giving was excommunicated from the entire community. So boys especially, and for the most part the girls too, but especially the boys were never given gifts for any occasion, birthdays or Christmas or holidays or anything like this. All in the fact of you don't get gifts if you get something you have to earn it. So when those boys saw all those little kids getting free gifts, something inside of them says, I want mine. Where's my gift? And that turned into anger and frustration. And then the only thing they've ever been taught is take what you want. So they pulled their guns out and said, well, you won't give me a box. I'm going to take a box. And that's what happened. And when we gave them the gift and they were so happy, the guy said, you know that boy? He goes, I actually know who he is. He goes, that's the first gift he's ever received in his entire life. Now, if you think about this and how transforming it was, what were we doing there? We were giving love. You know, if you've never received a gift before, you don't know what it is to freely you've been given, freely receive. You've never been given anything. And as we preached the gospel in that crusade, I'll never forget, all with all the mafia and all this tough kids and tough people, there was one man in that crowd. And I remember seeing him, and the Lord gave me a word. Now, I didn't prophesy over anybody in this entire field. It was a big soccer field, except this one man. And I said, sir, I don't know who you are, but you should be dead. In fact, I think that you know death very well, and you should even be behind prison. But because of God's grace, you're standing here today. And if you come and give your heart to Christ, he's going to use you, and you're going to be like Saul to Paul. But it's your choice. And if you refuse, God says, you'll die. Now, I've never, pro I don't know how happy Pastor James would be if I prophesied you die tonight. <laughs> but I heard a word from the Lord. And that man came down all tough and tattooed up. 
And he said, Ugh. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> Is that my death wish? <laughs> when I, what's the slapping of the head? He says, no, that means bless him. So I prayed over him, and that man accepted Christ that night. The next night, that same guy was there, and there was like five of his, you know, these other guys that kind of looked like him out there, you know. And they're smoking while I'm preaching the gospel and drinking their alcohol and mocking me and laughing. And I'll never forget, I got to the altar call time, and he was standing behind him, and he was tall. He was big. I forget, I said, everyone quiet as I share the gospel. And they kept laughing. And I watched the big guy go, whack, whack, whack. And he smacked each of them across the head. I'm like, we're all dead again. There's about to be a gang war. And all of them, of course, are like, ah. Oh. And they're like cowering down to this guy. I'm like, this guy must be a leader or something. And I said, if you want Jesus, you come down to the front right now. And he shoved each of them down to the front. And everybody came walking. He kicked them in the back of the legs and dropped them to their knees. And then he looked at me and he goes, oh. <laughs> These guys literally had cigarettes in their mouth. And <laughs> they're staring, you know. They don't know what's going to happen. They probably thought they were going to get shot or something, you know. And I said, do you accept Jesus? And they said, yes, I don't. And I prayed for them. And we saw great miracles that night with so many giving their hearts to Christ. And I learned, I learned that night, that guy was one of the head mafia. And he had killed people. He'd been in prison. And somehow, through a glitch, he got out. This guy was bad news. And they said, the fact he came down, they said, you have to understand that would never happen in this culture. That would never happen the way it did. That was God. And we saw God do the most spectacular miracles that night and that week. And it was just one story of many through all these crusades we've done. And the only reason, I, this is not my sermon notes, I just felt led of the Spirit just to kind of share and bless you tonight. Because I want to encourage your faith. Because as I was standing there, even on the first night, I remember the translator saying, hey, if you see anybody pull a gun out, hit the ground and roll off the stage. James has never told me that here. I appreciate that, by the way. My son was with me. My wife was with me. I said, what about them? He's like, well, if they see you drop, they should drop too. And, you know, and that fear starts coming. Like, what have I got? My, what have I done as a father? What have I, you know, in that fear? And I said, okay, brother. In fact, they removed all the chairs. They said, we can't have chairs at this crusade because they'll literally pick them up and start, like, hitting each other. I'm like, what is this, you know, WWE, you know, like. They said the last time a preacher came here. Now, they didn't tell me this when we were planning the crusade, by the way. They told me literally three minutes before I started speaking. He said, yeah, the last time we had a preacher here, they started stoning him. And he almost died, but he crawled away. What? So now that I've said that, gun or rock, hit the ground. All right, let's go. I'm like, what? Gun or 
gun or rock, gun or rock, gun or rock, hit ground, roll, right? You know, your thing is stop, drop, and roll. You're like, these like rules, and he's like, okay, preach. <laughs> he told me the next night, you know, one year ago, great mafia war happened on this field. AK-47's there, AK-47's there, and they shot, many died right here. You preach. <laughs> and you want to know what happened while we were there? Nothing except the peace and life and love of Jesus Christ. The preacher, the pastors, I should say, of the area of the Albanians were absolutely blown away. They had expected so much turmoil, so much resistance, so much potential they had run all their negative scenarios failed to tell me but they had done it none of it happened we had nothing but peace the policemen were getting saved i mean it was incredible what god did in that moment and all that moment was a a process of little yeses that's part of my dream and my destiny in my life but your life is the same a process of steps of yeses, of saying yes to God. See, my process didn't start in Nepal. It started when I was seven at my dad's church. Started, uh, your pastor said an old term today. He said, turn on the overheads. I said, oh, that's old school. The overhead projector. Because I used to be the overhead projector boy. And you used to have slides. And during worship, you'd have to pull the slide off and put a new one on. The transparencies, you know before computers and technology is the overhead. I love that. That's like when I said, my dad always says, go to the tape table. I'm like, there's no more tapes. <laughs> tapes died in the 90s, you know. But at a young age, I began to serve. At a young age, I began to do whatever was needed in the house. I began to serve in the kids' ministry and the youth ministry and on the platform and just begin to say yes to God at a young age. You know, there's something special because it doesn't start with something big. God just starts with yes. Those who are faithful in the small things, he'll make ruler over many things is what the word says. And it doesn't matter what age you are either. Because I've seen God use people that were in the twilight years do some of the most miraculous things that they never dreamt possible. One of my mentors is an incredible woman named Dr. Marilyn Hickey. Has anybody ever heard of her by chance? She came into our life about 15 years ago, and my wife and I were sitting in a room, and she was speaking at this event, and she came back, and she said, Aaron, I need to talk to you. I said, yes. She goes, the Holy Spirit told me I'm supposed to mentor you. What do you say? Yes. And she began to teach me things, and we began to watch. She's 91 now, still traveling the world, still to this day. Every day she goes online, does her broadcast, every day. She can't stop. That's all she knows. But I'll never forget her saying, you know what's wild? We were at breakfast one day, my wife and I and her. She says, you know what's incredible when I was thinking about the goodness of God? She goes, I've seen more people saved in my ministry in my 80s than all the other years combined. I said, say that again? She says, the last decade of my life, from the age 78 until that time, I think she was 88 when we had that moment. She said, I've seen more people saved in that decade than the previous 
78 weeks. How many know that's God's blessing and miracles? And see, in the natural, we think, well, as we get older, we slow down. As we get older, the impact decreases. As our body diminishes, so does our impact on the earth. But in the, in the spirit, it's the opposite. Your body might be getting a little tired and a little older, but, you know, the Lord can just keep growing from glory to glory to glory to glory. So I want to encourage you, no matter what age you are, don't be discouraged. Just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes. In fact, can we just shout out, say yes. <laughs> There's something powerful about a yes to God. So our journey with Expect Hope has been a fun one. It's been a wild one. I could tell stories for hours, just like your pastors. And we'll share some more over the week. But the point is, from that moment of saying yes with Expect Hope, and tonight I just kind of wanted to share a little bit about that to give you a little context as we dive into the Word, especially tomorrow and Sunday, that God will begin to do more with your yes than you could ever dream, than you could ever think or imagine. In seven years, we started with those 60 children, rescuing them. And when I say rescue, what we do is we take a child who's been either orphaned because of a disaster, abandoned. It happens all the time in foreign nations for various horrific reasons. You know, the widows. You talk, in James, they talk about uh, a true and undefiled religion is take care of the widows and the orphans and to keep oneself unspotted. This is genuine religion. That's, that's what the scripture says in James 127. When you go to certain nations in Africa and India and Nepal, the widows are something we don't understand in American culture. Because if you're a widow in India or Nepal, you're cursed. You have no legal rights to anything. Even if your husband was rich, multimillionaire with the most expensive cars, you get zero legal rights to anything. So if you become a widow, you're cast out of society. In fact, if your husband dies, and you're a widow, you did it to him. That's how the thinking is. Does anybody get why, how backwards that is? But they say, he, you know, he's the man, so if he's dead and you're alive, you're the problem. Especially in the Hinduistic culture because they believe in reincarnation and all these types of things. So they say the curse came from the woman. In the old days, when they burned the body of the husband, they just burned the woman alive with it. A lot of those practices, of course, have stopped and become illegal. But what they do now is they cast them out of society. And so the widows that we began to encounter in India, I was blown away because personally in our life, we have friends who were widowed. Their husband died and they're in their late 20s, early 30s. They have children. But in these societies, if you have a boy, the boy gets given to the next male in the family, given to him. And in fact, the boys are told to not talk to their mother ever again. They rip families apart. It's horrific. And many times when these families are ripped apart, the people that inherit the children sometimes get rid of the kids or sell them or abandon them. It's, it's horrific, the stories that come our way. And so as we began our work, those were the stories we wanted to go after and do something about. So when we'd find these children and we'd go through the process, we don't just take children off the street. We take a child and then we go work with the local government and we have connections in every city we've done work. We say, who is this child? We'd like to register them. Are they registered? Do they have a family? And all these things, we have registered entities in these nations. And we would take the child to what we call our hope houses. And as we take them there, we begin to clothe them and feed them and take care of them on a daily basis. And most importantly, in my opinion, we give them Jesus. And they begin to get love in Jesus for the first time. Many of them, they've never even heard of Jesus. And we begin raising them up in the church. And that's what's been happening. Now the program is seven years old. 
and we just added, uh, we just rescued, actually we say add, we say rescue, we use these words. We added 100 plus children to our Expect Hope family, rescued right off the street. And to date, we have 857 children and lives that we've rescued, we're taking care of, and we're growing up and putting them back into society. Many of them now are graduated. They're out of our programs. They're older. They're 17, 18, 19, and beyond. Many of them are becoming pastors. And we started church planting two years ago. And we have about seven of those church plants, specifically in the Philippines, in Mindanao, in the southern island, that were planted by Hope House orphans that are now pastoring and leading the charge at a young age. I think we ought to praise God for that. Glory. So saying all of that, the Lord's been guiding us and leading us as we continue to work. And he said, there's this hole in our heart of ministry, of pastoring. As we, my wife and I had planted a church uh, back in 2011, but we transitioned it as we began to do Expect Hope full time. And the Lord brought us back to Colorado, which is our hometown in Denver. And uh, the Lord said, it's time to plant a new work. But not just some random work. This is going to be Expect Hope. And you're going to do what you're doing overseas and do it right here in your hometown where you live. So by a massive step of faith, because that's what it is. And uh, we have taken a step of faith and we secured a property. We said we got to have a building. And we got a small little building. It's beautiful. I can't wait. You know, it's about 5,000 square feet. And we've been renovating it. And uh, we didn't have a lot of stuff. Well, we didn't have anything, to be honest, because we've been an international missions organization. We haven't been a church. And I was talking to your pastors, and I said, well, how's it going? I said, man, I have no chairs. Your pastor says, I got chairs. And your pastor so graciously said, we have all these chairs that were part of our old building. There's a whole story. He says, they're in great condition. Do you want them? I said, yeah, will you bring them to me? He said, no. Said they're big, you know. I can't fit 120 chairs, you know. And we talked. We said, "How do we get them here?" So we figured it all out. But this church right here, Reach, sewed our chairs. They're in Denver and they're set up. And this Sunday, when we have our very first service, all those people are going to be sitting on Reach community chairs. Come on, somebody praise the Lord. <laughs> those are anointed chairs. I showed your pastor a picture of the room. He said, man, that looks a lot like my first church. I'm like, well, it, it is. It's your chairs, you know. <laughs> thank you. I want to say thank you. Whether you knew it or not, you were sewing. If you were part of buying those chairs, you sewed. Isn't that an amazing thought? That's the beauty in the cycle of the kingdom. And you know what? We're going to do some altar calls this Sunday in Denver. And you know where they're going first? Into those chairs. Before they get on their knees, they're going to be in those chairs. And in fact, last night, your pastor mentioned it. We were there praying, and we're having this connection time with new people. And we spent an hour praying and laying hands on those chairs. Because a chair is a chair, right? But we're believing for the souls that are going to fill those chairs. And I believe revival's coming to this city. I believe revival's coming to our city. I believe revival's coming to this nation. I believe revival's coming to this world because Jesus is coming back soon. If you believe it, say yes. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, I'm so grateful for what God's doing. And if the, if the worship team or somebody, or all, all bodies, you guys have the most amazing worship here. It doesn't just sound good, it's anointed. 
That's the most important part. If you would join with me and stand to your feet tonight. I, I shared more of a testimony tonight. I hope that was all right. But I wanted to just get your faith stirred tonight. Since, since, we, since we have a few nights together, a few moments together this weekend, I wanted to take tonight to just say, let's stir our faith and start believing God for yes, yes. Oh, in fact, would you just close your eyes and lift your hands and just start saying yes to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Father, we say yes. Father, I thank you. You take hands of clay. Father, and you do miracles through them. You take these broken, dirty vessels, Father, and you clean them and make them whole and flow in us and through us. Father, we just say thank you. We say yes to who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And, Lord, I'm just praying for a stirring of the fire. Oh, my goodness. I, I just know before the end of this weekend, your fire is going to be so hot like a raging furnace on the inside of you. It's that fire that will give you faith to overcome every fear. It's that fire that will give you faith to overcome every doubt. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit that will give you the courage to look the devil in the eye and say no to you, Satan. Let the devil know not today. It's the fire. Father, we worship you. Father, stir the fire in our hearts. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your fire. I thank you for the fire of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for this incredible community called Reach, this incredible church that you put here according to your will and your timing and your destiny and your plans. Lord, I thank you for the leadership of this house and the pastors. Father, I just bless them now in Jesus' name. Encourage them and strengthen them right now. Father, I thank you that, Lord, they are about to enter into the greatest season of their life in Jesus' name. James, I feel that so strong, brother. The greatest season of your life, brother. The greatest, that's what I heard the Lord say, the greatest season of your life. The greatest You've already had a lot of good, great seasons, but God says, get ready for the greatest season of your life. Brother, I just have to be obedient to the Lord. But the Lord, I was praying before service tonight, and the Lord just said to me, James is an apostle. James is an apostle. And apostles lead, guide, pour in, and teach when others won't. Apostles are willing to live with the people for a year or two years like Paul did. Apostles are willing to just put their hands to the plow and do work. And all through the New Testament we read when they said, didn't I do the work with you? Didn't I show you by example? Didn't I teach you these ways? Don't leave from these ways. I showed you what to do. And God says, you're an apostle. You and Christina are apostles. God has given you the gift of humility. And through the journey of God, the, sometimes the world beats it into us is how we feel. But God says, I do it for my glory. For even Paul was in prison more times than we know. For even Paul was beaten and poured into a moment of humility time. 
and time again. But even in those greatest moments where he felt like a failure, I'm sure. Where he felt weak, I'm sure. Where he felt there in a prison chained up for a year or two years saying, God, my ministry must be over. Father, what are you doing? God began to give him revelations. God began to give him the New Testament. God began to take him into the second and third heavens. God began to reveal the greatest things that we can look to today. And it was because of that. And the Lord says, with a great price, you have put your hand to the plow. With a great price, you have done things for my kingdom that no man will ever know. But in the same way Paul was in prison, doing and worshiping God the way no man will ever know. God sees all. And God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And God is the one who is saying, I needed a yielded vessel and brother I brought you here on purpose I brought you here because there is a need greater in this city than was needed for you elsewhere so don't look back but look forward saith the Lord because the greatest season of your life is about to emerge for the Lord says you are different you have been forged through the fire and that's the purifying refining fire of God Almighty and the Lord would say unto you because of the refining fire you shall see the greatest blessing of multiplication begin to come out of your ministry in ways that others will envy, in ways that others will say, how did you do it? In ways that others will say, I want what you got. But just like Simon the sorcerer tried to buy it, you're going to tell him, you can't buy this. you got to pay a price for it. And the Lord's going to teach you how to raise people up. The Lord is going to teach you how to guide them. And the Lord's going to give you a movement. And it starts right here in Jesus' name. Somebody praise God. Hallelujah. And Christina, I pray over you in Jesus' name for the anointing on your life, for worship, for family, for leading an example, to show people that no matter what, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I see you as an example of strength that few have. I see you as an example of a woman who stands firm in spite all circumstances or tragedies or strongholds. And the firmness of your faith is a rock that no stronghold can ever build a foundation on. And it breaks off. And because of this, it has planted the seeds and foundation into your children and your children's children yet to come. The Lord says, your efforts and faithfulness to my kingdom shall bless two and three and four generations because of your faithfulness. The Lord says, get ready for the multiplication we talk in the natural. Even as Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 and the multiplication began to take place, the Lord would say, your life and your husband's life shall are birthing a multiplication that shall be generational and it shall change the way people think about God. It shall change the way people think about Jesus and church. And the Lord says, I have positioned you for such a time as this. For there is a revival coming and you are called to be a voice in the midst of it. You are called to lead a sound in the midst of it. But it won't just be you, it's gonna be your disciples. And God said that the disciples will go forth 
and be sent out. So get ready for the increase. For the greatest season of your life is upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And girl, you're anointed. You're so cold. You're so anointed. It's just all over you. And I want you to hear something. The songwriting gift hasn't even begun yet. For it shall pour out of you like a river. In fact, I'll see.